This episode of Finding Demo Surfishing is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. Go over to ninjatackleva.com and see all the great things that Matt's got going on up there in Virginia. You need rods? Hey, he's got you covered. Who knew? Yeah, that's right. You guys see it. You see me using those ninja daggers. You know I love them. The seven-footer. I've got the one solid piece, but I've also got the travel rod with the case. It's gone with me numerous times. Love that rod. You need it all the way up to 12 and maybe 13. <gasps> Keep your ears open. Lots of cool stuff still coming. But maybe if you need rigs and other pieces, hey, he's got you there. Lots of great pieces at the Ninja Tackle shop. If you're into shooting and firearms accessories, they got you covered there too. Ninja Tactical. Optics. Accessories add-ons, upgrades, yeah, it's all there. NinjaTackleVA.com, go on over, get your order in today. You won't be sorry. Yes, it is so good to be here in your ears. Oh, I've missed y'all. I really have. Yeah, it's been weird. This week we are jumping on the old digital plane and we are heading out west again. That's right. We're going back to Cali and we're sticking in SoCal. For those of you who know me for a long time, I do have a special place in my heart for SoCal. I spent a long time there in the Marines and enjoying myself. Yeah, it was pretty good. And we're just going a little bit north of that, actually. We're heading up into the Orange County, just south of L.A. area here. And we're going to be talking with American Sea Fishing. If you haven't taken a look at it on the website, it's lots of good stuff. It's all hyperlinked back here on the page. But you got AmericanSeaFishing.com. On Facebook and Instagram, American Sea Fishing. Easy to find. Lots of cool stuff. They ben, Ben's got some really cool things. And I, I don't want to steal his thunder with it because I know I will. You know, guys know me. I like to talk. I don't, I, that's why I have a podcast. So lots of cool things in there. We will get into them into the show. And man, I'm just excited for that. So without flapping my jibs for too long, welcome to the show, Ben, man. Glad to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brian. It's a pleasure and honor to be on your podcast, man. I'm a fan. So good to meet you. I, it's funny how this worked out because you were out fishing with Courtney from Fish Bites. And I was, yeah. of course, stalking my good friend, like, hey, what you doing out in Cali? I need you to go get me a carne asada burrito because you're a good friend. And then while you're there, I need you to stop at a couple other places and get some other food for me because I can't have it. And then she told me she was fishing with you. I'm like, ooh, ooh, can I talk to him? She's like, yeah, he knows who you are. I was like, what? He does? <laughs> like the whole weird loop for me. And I was like, yes, I definitely want to get him on the show. So I'm very, very thankful and fortunate to have you on, man. Really, I do mean that. Oh, no, the pleasure is mine. It's, it's really great. And I'm um, lovely to connect with someone from the other side of the coast as well. You know, a few thousand miles between us, but there's a lot of similarities in kind of the things we do and the kind of outlook we have. So it's uh, really great to connect with a like-minded angler, I think. Yeah. That, and that's one thing I love about this podcast, too. And I've realized that after doing this for, you know, well, hell, I'm coming up on two years here, is there, fishing is fishing. But there are so many similarities to how you fish, where you fish, what you use, how you do it. It's just minor differences for different fish, and it can all come back together. Yeah, there's definitely some big themes which are which are consistent through wherever you are in the world. Um, I think I was listening to a, to another podcast recently about a striper fishing guy, a very well-known striper fishing guy up in the northeast on the east coast, and. Um, the, the similarities, even though we're fishing in completely different water on the other side of the of the continent, really, for completely different fish, the things he was describing about the tides and so on, which were 
which worked for him and the things he's found out um, was so similar to the things here with even though we're completely different fisheries um, that similarity is is universal so there's certain universal things in surf fishing inshore saltwater game that I think are very very consistent wherever you are in the world which is kind of interesting isn't it it is. I mean, that's one thing I love about it is, you know, you can I can pick up from here in Florida, fly out to Cali, and I can probably figure out half of it. But in reality, I mean, if I come in out there, I'm calling you and a couple of people like, hey, <laughs> let's go fishing. Show me how to do this. But yeah, I mean, and hell, it's the same thing over in Europe. I had a great conversation uh, with, the, oh my goodness, I've had two different ones. But Nick, uh, Nick started out, he's in Texas. Nick started out in Europe. And he was just like, yeah, oh, yeah you know, yep, yep. And he was just like, yeah, I mean, you start like this, you can still use the exact same tips and tricks over there that you can use here. It's just different, this little nuances. And it was so cool and refreshing to know that, that we can do that in this game. Yeah, it's fun, especially when like Nick and myself, you come from the kind of English British surf fishing game. Um, it's definitely a little different. It's de I wouldn't say it's harder. It's just different and different species, but definitely some of the conditions are a little more trying, let's say, than the ones you might find here every day, which makes you a much better angler. And I think when I came here, I, there was stuff I could deal with quite easily, which maybe if I hadn't had that lovely education of learning how to fish in salt water in England and around the south coast where I went to college and stuff, um, if I hadn't had that, I think it would have been a lot more challenging, taking me a lot more longer to gut to get it dialed in here. So, yeah, I think Nick's, Nick's had a, Nick, Nick does really well with his, his big surf species there. And his company is Breakaway. I'm a fan of that as well. I use lots of their products. So, um, yeah, like really interesting. Uh, he has that experience as well. Yep. And very, very good surf angler, though. Well, you've already kind of dialed us into the first question here. You've dialed us back into the younger years. Like, you're talking about college. So let's back it up. Tell us your story and what got you into fishing. Well, I'm, I think it really started for me when I was probably 9, 10 years old. My parents are a big sailing family. Um, you, know, my, you know, my whole family's been sailing for, you know, decades and decades and so water's always been a big part of my family. And I really remember very clearly when I was eight, nine years old and around that kind of age, um, being taken sailing on, on our family boats and looking down at the water and, you know, seeing some fish and thinking, well, that looks kind of interesting. I'm kind of a little bit more interested in what's under the water than what's above the water, although this is very lovely. I love sailing still. Um, I was, you know, getting to think, well, what's underneath there? And then some of my friends started fishing around the same time and they were catching like trout and stuff. And, you know, so I got into that a little bit. My first fish was a rainbow trout stocks rainbow trout as i'm sure it's for lots of people on a fly though so that's that's a little something something extra <laughs> um so and, and that sort of started really that whole process of thinking well this is really interesting so there's like 10 year old me catching trout um and gradually working my way through the food chain not necessarily up the food chain at this point but you know where i grew up in cambridge england we had a beautiful river running through the city center the river cam and i you know i get on my bike or my parents would drop me down there or come sit by the river with me and we catch you know little what probably you'd call like shiners or a little sucker fish here you know chub and roach and dace and things like that and little perch a yellow perch with a very similar thing european perch so you know that that sort of started me off you know that's me 10 11 12 years old then then you find out that the local river has northern pike in it which leads you up to the first rung in the food chain and this again fairly consistent theme throughout my fishing life of working my way up that food chain <laughs> and again my first nice predatory fish and you probably laugh at the photo because i look literally 10 or 11 years old um i've caught this little pike on a little northern pike on a plug incredibly proud of that and that started the pike fishing so that and i got into more of the predator fishing and at the same time i was doing a lot of tournament stuff in my kind of mid-teens so i was fishing for my county team captain my county team at the end so i was a kind of in, in america you'd be kind of state level competition and then 
So I've worked my way up there, did pretty well in the, in the national stuff. And, you know, working out the predatory food chain as well, um, you know, catching some really nice northern pike, a lot of big perch and stuff like that, big, big chub. Um, got into Xander and later life, which is which is a European walleye, basically. But um, but when I was going through that teenage years, um, you know, you know, doing those big competitions and that was pretty good. And, you know, it's very intense. Um, it was really the, the European equivalent of doing like the, you know, the bass equivalent stuff. You know, it's a very intense competition, very serious guys, um, you know, a bit of money at stake as well. So I did pretty well at that in my teens. And then pretty like a lot of people when they, when you hit your 20s and you go to college and, you know, I went to college by Port, at Portsmouth Business School, which is a lovely, beautiful place by the sea. Um, so I did a lot of surfishing then, but, you know, maybe you maybe you get other interests as you get into your early 20s. Well, the guys <laughs> might find this, you know, you know, you discover beer and girls. And so fishing isn't really compatible with staying out at two in the morning in the local nightclub. So that so the, so the fishing for, for for my college years was very much in the surf fishing field, but it wasn't quite as intense. It would be you know go out between lectures or you know when I had a couple of morning spare or something. Um, so that so that was how I got into the surf fishing game. Is that very early on in college, beautiful place by the by the sea in Portsmouth on the south coast of England, catching bass, flounder, which is a kind of kind of like a halibut type fish type species. Um, and place and all that kind of thing on the, on the east coast and sorry on the south coast in Portsmouth and also did a bit of fishing on the east coast like I said my parents had a boat on the east coast and so fishing all around Norfolk and Cambridge coast and most of the catching there unfortunately was eels and dogfish which if you fish on the east coast when, I, when you guys talk about catching dogfish up in the northeast I, I feel your pain they are a <laughs> yeah, pain they are uh, a pain, pain in the butt caught my spare share of dogfish but of course some nice bass and some nice you know nice kind of flatfish and you know things like that and some nice a lot of eels um in fact my i'm not fairly swiftly ended fishing on my dad's boat thanks to some eel encounters which probably didn't do that make his deck look that great oh no um, after there's a bit of blood and eel slime involved and some 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 ragworms or lugworm which is kind of sandworm here so that so that was me in my sort of t- in t- t- 20s and um got into my 20s i started working as a journalist and did quite a bit of work in the publishing field and pr and got to go to some really cool places, got to travel around to places like Iceland. So saltwater fishing in Iceland is phenomenal. You know, it's like how many 20 pound cod do you want to catch a day? It's that good. Um, and Faroe Islands is another place I fish. So Norway, um, all around France, Germany, um, all places like that. So really had a wonderful education in my 20s of being able to travel and do slightly less intense fishing. But as I sort of ended my 20s, I began to get more into that um more into that kind of mindset of very focused fishing very focused on maybe more of the trophy type stuff so got back into more of the predatory fishing um in northern pike style northern pike type things um big xander as well big perch all that kind of thing uh mainly freshwater at this stage at the stage i'm living in london so i'm doing a lot of freshwater fishing around the thames and you know places like that and then yeah, so at the time i was living and working in london working as a journalist um working in pr kind of marketing type fields and doing a lot of traveling so i was fishing places like iceland which is just phenomenal saltwater fishing um giant cod ling ling and you know so on and fishing the fair islands as well which is another phenomenal fishery really really untouched by a lot of the commercial guys or, or relatively untouched and just you know a, a fisher drop so it's like like if you imagine if you go rock fishing on the west coast and you go to those wonderful untouched deep water marks that they've opened up this year and you just catch big fish after big fish that's what it's like up there so wonderful education in terms of fishing deep water big fish um so i did that in my 20s and then ended up working for a series of fishing magazines angling times anglers mail in england so at that time still printing physical magazines which is really really which i absolutely love 
Um, I love just picking up a bit of, you know, a really good fishing magazine and, you know, really good instructional bits and pieces. And I love that. Love that. Um, I think that's a dying thing, sadly. But um, but I had it. So I had a sort of a really nice career in that fishing magazine world of photographing lots of features, writing lots of articles and, you know, how-to articles about everything from freshwater, um, very light line freshwater stuff up to, you know, the heavier saltwater stuff. And, um, and you know, I was having a really, really fun time, taking to a lot of really fun places, sort of met, a, met, a, met the who's who of English and European fishing. And um, and then that kind of led me into salt, into catfish guiding in Spain, which I did for a while, which was really fun, guiding for these giant European world's catfish. You know, you're fishing for three fi- triple figure, you know, 100 pound plus fish off the, off the shore using big live baits. So that was a really great education in targeting live fish from from a shoreline which comes into play later in my career so that was um so that was really wonderful and then set up set up uh yeah oh yeah and so around that time um i met my lovely wife and my wife lives in huntington beach california at the time we met on a surf trip in england uh and i was just went down the pub to meet some friends and she was there as well and one thing led to another and we hit it off and then we started dating and she was obviously living in America. I was living in England, um, working quite happily and not really expecting any great life changes. And she said to me, well, why don't you come and visit me? I live by the beach in Huntington Beach in Southern California. And obviously, as well as being very keen on her, this sounded like a fantastic way to spend a few weeks. So I was like, done. I, I'm done. I'll, I'll see you shortly. Um, so I came out here um, when we were dating and I found this just phenomenal fishery right on my doorstep of this beautiful sandy beaches full of things like surf perch, corbina, leopard sharks. And so very early on, I, I took a whole load of fishing gear over with me when I came over and I left it here and did not really use much of the freshwater stuff, but ended up using all of the saltwater stuff multiple times a day sometimes because um, we just live so close to the beach. It's so easy just to walk down. In fact, before we started recording this podcast, I just walked down for a fish for an hour and, you know, that's just, just a wonderful thing to be able to do. So, um, certainly. So, so I dated my wife fishing a lot over here and we obviously then got married. I moved over here permanently and immediately set up my guiding business. As soon as I was able to legally start a business and work over here, um, got my green card, started my guiding business, started my tackle business shortly after. And it's been about five years in now. So, and that's been it really. And I'm now currently running American Sea Fishing um, as a guiding and outfitting business in Huntington Beach. Um, Orange County, and we're doing multiple surface trips every week, selling lots of tackle and helping lots of people catch fish. And so that's where I am right now, really. Just end result is exactly where I would have dreamed I would be five years ago, which is really great. Dude, that's coming full circle, though. I mean, that's so cool. You started out with everything from over in Europe. You've learned so much, different countries, different pieces, different whole different fisheries. I mean, that's a lot of coastline. You look at a map, you know, for everyone looking, yeah, there, there's some distance there. So that that's a yep. whole lot of different type of water, too. I mean, especially around Spain and France. You know, were you on were you in the Atlantic side or up in the Channel, or were you down in the Med side? Um, in Spain, I was inland, so I was fishing on the River Ebro for okay. the um, wild catfish. Which is, which is the big predatory kind of, you know, big long thing that looks like a head with a giant tail attached. Um, they're pretty fun. And then a lot of my fishing in France, um, as well as fishing on the south coast, sort of southwest coast, um, around the kind of Biarritz area, a little further inland as well, did a lot of the kind of freshwater stuff there. Um, and then ended up as well doing a lot of carp fishing. And so I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this will know that carp fishing in Europe is extremely big. 
it's kind of like bass fishing in America, that yeah. same level of kind of hype and money and professionalism. Um, so that's why I used to go to France a lot, is to do a lot of the big carp fishing because they just grow bigger and hungrier over in France where it's a little bit warmer and they've got better water, um, more conducive to growing giant kind of, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 pound plus carp, Ooh. which was a big draw to us. English people, if you fish for 20 pound carp your whole life and you can go over the channel and catch a 50 pounder, well, that's, that's kind of a fun thing. Yeah, I can see that one for sure. All right, so you've already answered a couple of the other questions here as we've been going, so I'm just going to ask a, a couple different, and then we'll start getting into the knowledge pieces here. What is your favorite thing about fishing? Um, I think the satisfaction of working stuff out. I think that's a huge, huge factor, um, being facing challenges like I did when I came over here and thinking, okay, well, how do I catch a surf perch? Um, you know, great, that's how you catch one. How do I catch 20 in a day? great, I've got 20 in a day, how do I now catch 20 for clients in a day? Um, and just working those things out, working out those puzzles. So I think fishing is largely a series of quite complicated puzzles that you have to piece together. Sometimes the pieces change, sometimes the pieces are missing altogether. Um, it's up to you to work it all out. So that's probably the thing I get most out of it is that satisfaction of working things out. And also the just a fantastic kind of, kind of just a real buzz. You know, I just love fishing. I love being out there. I love being in the sunshine, like this morning, messing around in the in the shore break, grab a couple of sand crabs, try and catch a corbina. Um, you know, it's all down to you. It's all down, all down to your effort, your skill, your perseverance, whether you catch that fish or not. Nice. I think that's a great thing to be able to do. Yeah, well, it, you made a great point there with you know figuring it out. That that's that's three quarters of this game is figuring it out. So that yeah, yeah, that that works out well. Well, now that you've been here for you like you said five years now. Everything's going on that, but you've had a whole lifetime of fishing so far. What has been your favorite fish to target? Oh goodness. Okay. Well, I think my favorite right now fish to target right now is either a corbina or a spotfin croaker. Um, now corbina. People are listening who don't know the West Coast surf species, um, probably more familiar with it as a croaker species. So if you have an East Coast whiting, it's not dissimilar. And they're kind of like if a whiting, if a whiting had babies with a bonefish, that's kind of how they behave. They're yeah. kind of, they're kind of lost that shallow water. They're really fast moving. They're fairly, fairly picky about what they eat. Um, but they will come in, swim around super shallow water. You can sight fish for them. They love that skinny kind of surf zone. And um, I think they're really, really fun. It's really good fishing thing right now. Um, you know, catching multiple decent sized ones every day, you know, in the kind of 15, 20 inch category, which is a really fun fight on light gear in the surf. So that's probably my current favorite. Um, my all time favorite fish, which I think is maybe something you might want to touch on later on, is possibly an Arapaima, which is something I caught in, in, um, in the, on the Amazon in Colombia, South America. Um, so that's probably the most spectacular fish I've seen or caught. Um, but here, definitely Corbina. I think another one of my another one of my really favourite species on the west coast is the leopard sharks. Um, we're extremely lucky in Orange County. We have probably one of the best leopard shark fisheries in the world, and they congregate here in large numbers in the summer, which is about right now. And I think they're one of the most fascinating shark species. They tend to live in this ridiculous surf zone. You look at you look at where I fish with them, and you just think, man, you know, you're never going to catch one. They're like four foot of foaming white water, but you do, and they love that zone and you know, if you fish 200 yards further out, probably never going to catch one. You fish right in that churny zone, just behind the white water. And, you know, we, my best day for those is 10 over 50 inches in a day. So, and I think a 50 inch leopard shark on the West Coast is one of the most spectacularly beautiful, kind of almost like a piece of art. So obviously very careful catch and release for those. Um, but they're probably one of the, my favorite fish as well. 
And in a way, that was kind of a fish that led me start my guiding services. I worked some things out very early on for those and had a lot of success um, in my first kind of few months of fishing here and then built a guiding service based on the fact that I could take people to catch this very unique, very beautiful shark species and um, kind of show them how it's done as well, you know, show them how to catch and release them pretty, pretty effectively. And um, that's how my guiding service started really is the leopard shark. So that's pretty, probably is my favorite species for that reason. It's a beautiful fish too. I mean, if you guys haven't seen one, if you head over to uh, the website of AmericanSeaFishing.com, you're actually it's actually going to be one of the cover pictures. So it's really a beautiful fish to watch, and it, I think it's really cool that you catch those. Uh, so you've done a lot of this other one. Here's a weird question for you. Then, what is a bucket list fish for you to catch? Um, I think right now, I would like a really, really big thresher. I've had a few threshers. Um, but I think a really, really big one would be a really spectacular thing to see and encounter. Um, so there's that. Also, I have on my very high on my list of things to catch off the beach. And also, a lot of my things, a lot of my fishing is done through the guise of fishing and land-based fishing. So I think a lot of my satisfaction comes from working out how to catch these larger fish from the beach. You know, I'm not floating around on a boat. I'm got any electronics. I have to work it on myself. So I think working out how to catch these large species like the big threshers um, and my next one on my list is definitely something like a white sea bass. So they're a big croaker species again, but they're seriously big, you know, they're 50, 60, 70 pounds. Um, and there are ones that are regularly spearfished fairly close to shore that are in that kind of ballpark, 50, 60 pound fish. So I think that's going to be this summer. I feel like it's going to be a really good one for, for those. And I, for the next, um, for the next few weeks, I think that'd be a good target. Also, the striped bass fishing, weirdly, in Southern California has absolutely exploded this year. It was something that was on my radar when I was working for Western Outdoor News last year. We had a lot of reports, people saying, you know, actually, we're catching them regularly, we're just keeping it quiet. And there is a legitimate striper bite now in Southern California. Um, you know, I've caught a couple. I've had one up in Marina, up in Monterey Bay a few weeks ago, which is, you know, striper territory. But here we are down in Southern California, 70 degree water, um, you know, blue skies is not what you can think of striped bass fishing. So a really, really big striper would be absolutely awesome. And in fact, this week it's a grunion run, which maybe you can go into that a bit, a bit later on, what that means, kind of like a mullet run, but on a West Coast style. And the stripers are definitely going to be reacting to that. So I think tonight and tomorrow night might be my chance for a really big striper. So maybe by the time we, this podcast is out, <laughs> might, have, might have another photo for you. <laughs> Dude, I'm so jealous that you guys are getting stripers down south now. That's so it's cool. Crazy, isn't it? You, you never think, when I moved here, you'd never, I'd never heard of a striper being caught here because they're so under the radar and they are kept quiet. Um, but it's become more and more obvious that there's quite a few around. And there's definitely some <laughs> spots as well and some techniques, but it's kind of a weird thing to be stood on a beach at you know, midnight casting a giant plug into the surf here. Yeah. It doesn't feel right at all. But you need to be like Montauk or something for that. <laughs> yeah, you would think. Yeah, that I think it's really great. And then, you know, like you said, the water temperature, and there's been some cool changes for the movement. So, yeah, the Grunion Run, I, I can get everything you were talking about right there. I'm smiling, thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, you're going to have some good runs. All right, so let me ask you this last question in this category, and then we'll move right into the knowledge pieces here. What has been your favorite fishing memory? Um, I think we touched on it earlier, actually, which is catching catching an arapaima in yep. in Colombia. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a, there's a little story behind that, which kind of maybe adds a bit of context. And cool. I had one of those lovely one of those times when you know a single man, so I could do whatever I wanted, and or, or to a certain extent anyway. So I got <laughs> on a plane to spend Christmas in Colombia with my cousin in South America, and I remember getting on this crazy plane ride 
it was on this clearly ex-military Russian airline with a giant kind of interior, the sort of thing they'd use to transport tanks, but they just shoved a few seats in it. So that was one of the legs of the flight. Involved like three planes to get down to this tiny little village. Um, involved an epic ride in a very, very old Land Rover, which kept on overheating um, landslides, military checkpoints, which weren't necessarily the official military ones. Um, a lot of people waving guns around, but pretty safe anyway. Um, we, had, we had some good local guides and eventually happening upon a, a small lagoon in a village where I managed to catch, after losing a very large one, um, a quite large arapaima, kind of seven, eight foot arapaima um, in the kind of two to 300 pound category and put on spinning gear from all gear that I carried on my back from England to this middle of nowhere in the middle of the jungle. And that was probably my favorite fishing memory. In a way, that's kind of where it all started to go wrong a little bit. So, oh, this catching giant fish off the land is really, really fun, especially if it's in a hot place and it's kind of interesting. So that's kind of sparked a few thought processes, which maybe led to the catfish guiding, which maybe led to maybe more of the sharky stuff here. So that's probably my favorite fishing memory is catching, you know, stuff like that giant, giant arapaima, beautiful, ancient predatory fish um, on, on relatively modest gear um, in a very, very cool place. Mm, and traveling with it so that's like a triple win right there <laughs> yeah definitely definitely traveling definitely <laughs> definitely traveling with a backpack and a bunch of rods and nothing else like no 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 you know no higher car or anything so no well that's been great so let's go ahead i mean actually it's been 25 minutes this is the perfect time we're just going to transition right into the education right after we rock into the old bait check because you need to check your bait people you need to It is your first bay check of the episode. Make sure you bring in that line, double check all your stuff, make sure it's good because you know, if it's not, nothing's hit yet. You gotta change it up. And that's important. You can't just use the same thing over and over, man. Something's gotta give. So change it up, maybe move in there. Hopefully you've caught your limit already. That'd be awesome in the first 20 minutes. That's never a bad day. This bay check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. DS Custom Tackle, Delaware Surf Fishing. Yep, that's who that is. They have a lot of great things in the shops for you to order and get all sorts of, I mean, hell, what do you need? You need floats? He's got them. You need rigs? Done. Want some pre-tied ones? Old Barry, old BS surfaging down there. I love my buddy Barry. His gear, his rigs, all the sand fleece set up with the glow-in-the-dark style, ready to rock and roll, easy to order. Maybe you need some other kind of jigs, anything like that. Definitely got you covered. Worldwide shipping, all those pieces put together, and keep your eye out. There's some new cool stuff coming out here pretty soon, and I can't blow it because I promised him I wouldn't say anything. So DSCustomTackle.com, take a look at the website, get your stuff in, get out there fishing. So now that we're moving into the knowledge piece, here we go. All right, man. So this is for you personally, and you've done a lot of this stuff, obviously, in your life. Uh, let's move into the fishing trips, tricks, and knowledge. How do you plan your fishing trips out there? Uh, I think, first of all, the operative word there is plan. So I'm a big planner in regards to where I fish and when I fish. And really, I have um, you know days marked in my diary months in advance. And the way I'm able to do that is I use a bunch of apps um, mainly based around tides and moon cycles, which obviously kind of the same thing, um, but largely based around that. And also you've got the added spice of the grunion run. So just briefly for any listeners who haven't experienced the grunion run or don't know what that is, basically every two weeks when the tide is up, uh, hitting, hitting a kind of spring tide or a peak tidal cycle in those little, little kind of peaks of the, of the tide height, um, the grunion, which is a very small kind of smelt type fish, little bait fish, runs up the beach, wants to lay its eggs right at that point of that high tide, at that high tide when the high tide's about kind of 11, 12 at night, 
um, has three or four nights where they run at the beach, lay their eggs right at the top of the surf line in a little hole, and then use the retreating water to go back down. And then when the water comes back up two weeks later, the eggs or, or the grunion has evolved to the point where when the eggs next touch water and are moved around, they instantly hatch into tiny grunions and they off they swim. And so that happens every two weeks from about March through to September. And what that creates is a very odd bait situation where you go from having, you know, a bunch of sand crabs and the usual kind of maybe some sardines and some mackerel offshore, maybe some other smelt inshore. You have this massive bait fish turn up. So it really creates a very strange situation for the predatory fish where they're very, very keyed in on that bait fish. Um, when I read about mullet runs in the East Coast and places like that, I imagine, you know, you might have the similar challenge where the predatory fish are very, very keyed in on those runs um, and they're not really too much in too interested in anything else. So that's definitely a factor this week when I'm planning trips. So if I use the example of this week, how I'm planning trips, um, for example, I've got a client on uh, Wednesday um, and we are right in the middle of a grunion run, but I'm not going to fish for predatory fish on Wednesday. I'm fishing for more of the non-predatory fish like the corbina, the surf perch and so on. So they're less affected by the grunion. So that's, so, so really is in a nutshell, how I'm planning my trips um, or how I'm planning when I go, when I go fishing here is the first thing I'm going to do look at is the tide. Um, I want, ideally, I want water moving when I'm going to be fishing. So I don't want to be starting right on the high or right on the low. I really want, you know, I'm talking about specifically about fishing with clients. So I want a really busy, you know, three, four fun hours. And I'm probably going to fish just after that high, just to kick just after the high tide, for example, if I want to fish an outgoing tide. And we do have some really, really odd tides here. Um, you know, some days it goes out for eight, nine, ten hours. Other days it comes in for two hours. You have some really odd tide situations. Um, but if I just use example of maybe a tide that goes in for six hours now, for six hours, kind of like maybe more of the East Coast tides. Um, you know, ideally I'd be looking to fish maybe an hour after that high tide, get that peak water movement of that, whereas water's really pushing out. And I find for the inshore species here, that is just absolute money. They love that water moving in or out. Um, they love significant tidal movements here, most of the fishing way. Um, so that's the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at the tides. Second thing I'm looking at is that tide in relation to the moon cycle about the grunion runs. Am I going to be fishing on a grunion run? If so, that's a problem if I'm fishing predatory fish because a lot of that peak activity probably occurs very, very um, early in the morning at sort of two, three, four in the morning as that tide turns around and those massive grunions get washed out. Imagine all the spent grunions being washed out to sea. You know, those sharks and those rays just absolutely hoover them up. But it's at a really unsocial fishing time. So I tend not to target my shark and my predatory fishing sessions in those times when there's going to be a lot of other bait fish in the water at very odd times. Um, but when that grunion run ends, it finishes, uh, I think Saturday. Um, so Sunday, Monday, I have, or it'll probably have dissipated by Saturday. So it'll probably have a peak Wednesday, Thursday, less on Friday, even less on Saturday. And by Saturday, Sunday, Monday, things are back, relatively back to normal. So I'm going to be taking some clients shark fishing on Sunday night and Monday night. And how I plan that session is again, to look at the tides. I know I've got a high tide uh, early, early evening. So as that water turns around, I'm going to have that lovely peak time of a lot of water moving just after the tides going in or out and a solar change as well so a bit of sun going down or sun coming up um maybe a bit of lunar activity as well maybe a maybe a moon underfoot or moon overhead or some something something similar um, which has generated that tidal force and that is when i'm going to be shark fishing so um and the way i use a lot of, i use a lot of apps so i love i love data driven apps um in fact if i look at my phone now i have Probably the ones I'm going to be using right now are there's an app called Epic, which I use for surf fishing, um, planning around the surf. 
and that gives you a reading of kilojoule, a kilojoule reading for the waves, which then translates into how much current and the size and power of the wave. And I find if I've got a reading of under 200 kilojoules, that's going to be a really nice day to go fishing. Under 100 is like beautiful blue sky, you know, blue water, flat calm, kind of relatively lake-like conditions. You know, you probably use a real small sinker and it'd be lovely. Fish will be coming in close. And then as we come up that kilojoule scale, which is something I'm very much looking at, if I'm thinking, okay, well, there's a bit of surf coming in, I'm looking up that kilojoule scale on an app like the Epic app. And as that hits three, four, 500 kilojoules, there's no way I'd be fishing in that an open ocean. That'd be very, very messy. A lot of water moving, giant waves, you know, three, four, five, six foot swells. Um, and they will not tolerate that mostly. However, if you go up north a little bit, some of that surf perch and the stripers, for example, they really don't mind that big swell, but you don't mind a lot of water moving. But come down here and species like the Corbina are going to back off and they're going to find a nice harbour or somewhere nice nice and easy to, to hang out. Um, so that's so the surf stuff really and, tide, and the tides as well. Um, obviously, those apps are also going to serve you up the tide times as well. So I'm going to use those a lot. I'm going to look at the tide heights and start to work out. Um, one thing I've got into recently is tidal coefficients. And I've really have noticed a strong trend of certain species like a very low tidal coefficient, which means there's a low difference between the high tide and the low tide. So that would create a situation where there's not a lot of water moving. Certain species really seem to like that. Other species seem to like the very high tidal coefficient. And I find those ones tend to be ones that feed a lot by smell and scent. So the sharky species, they appreciate a lot of water moving for long periods of time. That allows them to swim up the scent trail and find a bait or a, a fish or a bleeding thing that they want to eat very easily and they can really sense that from a long way away so a consistent tidal movement over a long period of time with a really strong movement and a relatively small surf is going to be perfect for something like a leopard shark or a soup fin shark or a bat ray here so um so i know it's a little bit complicated and there's a lot of data and boring stuff but you know a lot of the time i'm looking at those surf um the surf forecast the moon tide forecast correlating that with the grunion runs to make sure i'm not going to be fishing in the middle of one of those and um, I, th I think that's about it, really. I can't really think of too many more factors that I build into that equation. Um, maybe water temperature as well. Water temperature right now is really nice, 70, 68-ish, 70 degrees in Southern California. But if, for example, we had a big swell came from up north and it dumped a lot of cold water, upwelled up a load of cold water, and that water temperature went down to, say, 62, um, which does happen occasionally, then I might be planning to fish maybe more of the surf perch type species and maybe more of a soup fin shark than a leopard shark, which likes warm water, or the corbina, which also likes really warm water. Um, so I think that's, that's about it, really. I, you know, I like data. I like knowing exactly what tides are in the fish. And obviously that tidal data is available to you years in advance. So I could say to you next year, my what dates I'm going to be fishing for corbina in July, no problem at all. And I like planning that process. And in fact, one of the things I think that people don't do very well and can really mess themselves up Really screw themselves over in doing is not planning um you know I, i've got a few clients who are just starting out and they might say well look, ben i, I can't understand why I, I didn't catch a fish while well, i went fishing yesterday and it was 2 p.m in the afternoon where the wind was really high the surf the surf was big the beach was really crowded there was no tidal movement it was right on the high tide and i didn't catch anything at all and well, all of this information was readily available to you several days in advance so you could have known about this and you could have maybe said well but instead i sort of fishing at two in the afternoon i'm going to fish at five in the afternoon six in the afternoon as that tide turns around and i know there's going to be water moving then so that's the sort of process i go through um of, of when i'm taking bookings or trying to target specific dates for species so i'm looking at all that data and using the kind of experience i've gained and 
um, and correlating those two things for what is going to be the best day to go fishing. Man, I mean, you have just given a ton of great information, but there's two I really wanted to bring up, and one of them is kilojoules. Um, granted, I look at the map on the day, or I look at the surf, and I'm like, all right, what's the height? I never thought to look at energy, and you're bringing that part up. That's something I don't think a lot of people, I mean, there may be some people that know that, and they're like, shh, don't say anything. But, you know, that sort of <laughs> yeah. thing, it, it matters because the amount of energy matters about how they're fishing, where the rip currents are, how yeah. they're going to be hanging out by them, how they're going to be playing it. But that piece right there is really cool. And in a nap, I mean, Epic app, I'm going to look that up today for sure. That That's a really cool piece. So thank you for sharing that one. And, yeah. you know, it, it, like you said, Cali's got a different tide push. It's kind of like how we are here. We got one tide a day, which is cool. But, you yeah. know, with the, with the <laughs> coat. Six hours, like, out six hours? <laughs> no, in, in 12, out 12. We we only get wow, one okay. tide here in the Gulf of Mexico, which is really, really bizarre. And it uh, it messes up some of our friends that come in from out of town. They're like, well, when's high tide? We're like, it doesn't matter. Like, no, it totally matters. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Trust us. Look at the coefficient. Look at, And that's the one I wanted to say next is the coefficient mm -hmm. of the water movement, how it moves, where it's moving. That really plays a good factor. It's not necessarily a tide for us here. It's more about how much water is going, where is it going, how's it going. Um, yeah. And that's huge. That's another great piece for people to look at when they really want, because you're right. Data is key. And we have so yep. much technology in this little device that we hold in our hands while we're doing poop reading. I mean, there's so much knowledge that's right there at your fingertips. It's just a matter of knowing what piece of knowledge to use. And the fact that you are planning six months out knowing, okay, I know where I'm going to be with this, this, and this. And then you're doing the shorter of like, okay, I'm coming up on the day. I know what I need to look for now for yep. these. That's huge. And all that plays together. So thank you for putting that all out there. That was really, really phenomenal knowledge yep. and really, really helpful. So just a bit more on that kilojoule thing, actually, because I think there's some more stuff there, which I'm very happy to share. Yeah, go um, for it. So, the, so really on my scale, I've got a, got a mental scale on that kilojoule rating of West Coast surf fishing. And at the moment, or, or just last week, right, it was under 100 kilojoules. And that was beautiful. It was like flat, calm, beautiful, calm conditions, loads of corbina, loads and loads of sand crabs, like thick beds of both. So that was great. This today is kind of 200 kilojoules. Um, and it's definitely noticeable the current is more significant. That How that kilojoule rating plays out into real-world fishing, I often find it is the waves will be roughly the same size. Okay? So like difference between like a one-foot wave and a two-foot wave, there's not going to be a huge amount of surf moving. But if that's a two-foot wave with 200 kilojoules of power as opposed to a two-foot wave with one foot 100 kilojoules of power, that's quite a different scenario. And there was definitely this morning there's a lot more current you know, I was bouncing that sinker down. I was three quarter ounce of the sinker this morning. That thing was bouncing down the current, no problem at all. I was still getting bit, still getting bites, no problem at all. But it was kind of borderline. If maybe a, maybe a ounce sinker would have been a little bit more suitable if I'd been guiding this this morning. So um, so that's kind of two and three hundred kilojoules. When it starts to get to that four, five, six hundred kilojoules, when I've been fishing up in the north northern bits of California, kind of like a Monterey Bay, for example, four or five hundred kilojoules up there looks kind of mean and nasty, but it's pretty standard. Because there's such a high energy coastline um, that it's just how it is most of the time. And a fish have obviously evolved to feed in that conditions. The sand crabs seem bigger, presumably because it's easier if you're a big sand crab to dig and swim and do what you need to do in heavy surf conditions. Um, so, so yeah, so that so that's a little heads up on what kilojoules you should be looking for. And also, Surfline website I noticed has recently has introduced a kilojoule rating, which doesn't really seem to be too good, but consistently the epic kilojoule um, rating 
if of a local spot is the most consistent thing I find in terms of telling me exactly what I'm going to be fishing in front of when I arrive at the beach. That's really good stuff. Perfect put. So now we've knocked into the fishing, you know, your planning piece and you've given all these ones. Now that comes into the real fun part because a lot of people have this problem when they start talking about it is how do you select your spot? You're going to fish. <laughs> well, what, what do you want to catch? Be my first question. <laughs> there it is right there. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, it's fascinating here. You have such localized species that, for example, a walleye surf perch, which is one of the 20 or so surf perch species, um, I would never catch that more than 100 or 200 meters away from rocks. You know, if I'm more than 200 meters away, I would literally never catch one. If I'm next to some rocks, probably every two, three, four surf perch will be a walleye surf perch. Um, but it's that specific, you know, and a bar surf perch all over. But then if you go to maybe more of the rocky beaches, you'll find really some very strange um, things like the black perch, the rubber lip perch. And, you know, even the sheephead, the, the inshore rockfish species, but you could be 200 meters away from a sandy beach cold in Corbina. Um, so again, so this, so not, so they're really trying to answer the question in the spot is very definite on depending on what you want to catch and knowing what environment that's fish or, what, or more precisely what bait that fish is trying to eat, um, where that bait lives and what that bait does will probably lead you to finding the right spot. Um, at the moment, our fishing on the West coast here in California, fishing for a lot, a lot for Corbina, and that is a very shallow surf beach species. They like those shallow sandy beaches. They like swimming up in kind of a foot, two foot of water, eating a lot, as many sand crabs or sand fleas as they can get their mouth on around, and then just backing off as that water backs off and just repeat the process until presumably they've eaten so much they just have to go and, I don't know, have a little quiet quiet time somewhere. Because I've been catching <laughs> ones that are so fat, it's completely insane. They, they've probably doubled in weight. You know, I was catching really skinny ones in kind of May, April time that, you know, were like probably weigh a pound and a half. And the same fish now probably weighs over two pounds. It's absolutely stuffed with sand crabs. So, um, so, so I get a bit of knowledge about what you're trying to target and relate that to where you can actually fish. Cause a lot of marine protected areas in California, a lot of areas that are a little harder to find. So knowing your spots and getting a kind of repertoire of spots. And actually this might go back to a session planning thing where you say, what's your favorite spot to go fishing? Well, I want the one that's going to work best on that tide. And those conditions so i have spots that i would target if it's very large surf you know I might, I might want to fish in one of those more enclosed areas so if you think of surf fishing in la and orange county you've got for example long beach which has a lot of kind of water kind of stony jetties which create a much calmer inshore kind of surf zone or you might go half a mile the other way and fish a completely open beach like something like a sunset balsa huntington newport which if the surf hits it, it's just going to hit it and that's nothing to stop it. So, um, so yeah, so having some various spots that work on different surf heights, because obviously we do have some significant swell heights here occasionally, and that, that can be a big factor. Um, so really the, <laughs> I don't want to fudge it and without and not give any specific information, but it really is what do you, what do you want to catch? Because there's, they've all got their own things they want to do. They've all got their own kind of bait things they want to eat and their own behaviors and their own, parameters of things they're happy to feed in so understanding that leads you to the, then know what spot to fish in brilliant absolutely brilliant and for those of you that are i know because my brain's doing this it, my brain's in 
constant analyze and think mode. So like the <laughs> that whole piece of knowing the area and getting to know the zones, there's so many different species that you can target there at any given point in time. You know, you just nailed it. You know, if I'm going to fire after this, I got to go for that. You, you, There's always a give and take. You have to know these ones. And had you not, you know, listened to something like this, you may never have known that. But I mean, that piece right there, the knowledge piece that you have gained over this time and you're sharing with us is key. And it's going to help somebody catch some really great fish that maybe they've been struggling and they didn't realize that. So knowledge oh, is going to get sure. you through. And so that's great stuff. Um, we've been going for, oh, geez, 45 some. So we, we're time, we're due. So it's time for another bait check. It is the second bait check of the episode. Hopefully you caught a bunch of fish and everything is going just fine because that's what we hope for in here. We want you guys to catch. And if you haven't caught yet, maybe it's time to switch spots. Yeah, maybe. It's almost an hour, but hey, you can go one more. You never know. Give it a little change. Look around. Everything Ben just told you might be something worth thinking of. What am I targeting? How am I doing it? And is everything the right method for this? Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but hopefully you know. This bait check is being brought to you by the Kids Can Fish Foundation. Kidscanfish.net, great organization getting kids out fishing and just learning about the sport. Cast nets, how to surf fish. They've done other clinics uh, about different types of fishing, how to do it. It's great stuff. All the donations that they get from you and us out here, it goes back into these camps. It helps some kid learn about fishing. Not only that, are they, they're going home with gear. That way it's not just a learn and go. Now they have the stuff and they're going to become better. And they're the next generation here that's going to keep up with fishing. So you really help them out. Don't forget they got the SSI running the Bulls Tournament out of St. Simons Island, Georgia. I will be there with several other of my cohorts in our area. We look forward to seeing everybody. But you go over to kidscanfish.net. You can sign up for that. And again, all your donations make this possible. More tackle boxes, less Xboxes. It is good stuff. So we've talked about these pieces. Now, you've kind of... I don't actually, I won't say kind of, you did. You've nailed so many things about talking about spots. So you've already nailed tides and moon phases, but let's talk about this because I know that you, you guys do it a little bit different out on the West Coast. You're not just set rig fishing. There's different types out there. You're throwing lures, you're throwing plugs, you're throwing different ones. So let's talk about that when it comes to uh, the fishing piece. What type of bait are you using for types of species and what is your primary push? Well, um, if I think about what we're fishing for right now, is a good place to start. Um, so the main bait, the main surf fishing bait right now is sand crabs, um, sand fleas. And I think it looks like your sand fleas in Florida are pretty, or on the East Coast, not sorry, um, where you are pretty big, aren't they? They, they, look, they look a little chunkier than the ones They can be. I, mean, I prefer the olive size, personally. I mean, you can grab the monsters, okay, but I like, the olive size one to me has been... That's an all catcher. So I mean, whiting, pompano, reds, red drum, black drum. Uh, oh. Hell, you know, they'll all eat the sand flea. It doesn't matter. You know, they. But the smaller ones, like if you were specifically targeting pompano, I'd say go with an olive size uh, size sand flea. If you were trying to catch a permit, the monster one, and you just wanted only the bigs, yeah, I'd say hey, throw a big one. But yeah, I mean, sizes are a little bit, and you guys are we're pretty relatively close from what I remember seeing on the couple of yeah, pictures. okay. Interesting, interesting. But I mean, that, so that's probably the first bait is we use most of the year round when we can find them, which is from about April, April, May through to about Christmas time is the sand crabs. Um, and very specifically, and this year I've really dialed into using more of the soft shell sand crabs. And I really will trawl through a lot of sand crabs, um, you know, 40, 50, 100, whatever it takes to get a handful of the soft shell 
hook bait sand crabs. And for the Corbina, for the last few weeks, that has been the absolute money bait. And maybe um, re- re- your listeners who aren't quite familiar with the soft shell sand crab, um, it is this crab that's going through the molting stage. So a crab gets bigger, like a shed uh, snake sheds its skin, it sheds its shell and grows a little bigger. And when they're shedding their skin, they have this kind of off color. It's like a translucent kind of um, almost sandy color. So, you, so when you see a normal sand crab, it's kind of kind of like whites and browns and grays, and it's quite hard. And when a, um, when it's shedding its skin, they feel a little rubbery. They're a little less mobile. So often you'll find them trying to dig and not really being very successful because their digging spike is made of rubber now, as opposed to made of presumably bone. And um, so, so that's been the money bait um, for me for this you see this year. There's been a, a soft shell sand crab, very specifically um, one medium sized soft shell sand crab. Like you said, an olive sized one is about right. Even smaller, I'm happy to use anything around the fingernail size, but using one of those with two tiny, tiny soft shell, hard shell sand crabs sandwiched either side of it. So it's like a soft shell sand crab burger um, with a with a better size eight hook with, with just one tiny hard shell crab, the soft shell, and then one more tiny hard shell. And that keeps the soft shell crab on there, but you get all the visual enticement. Presumably they're, tr- they're triggered by the slightly different color. Maybe there's a different scent as well. Um, it, somehow they know that that's a soft shell sand crab and that's going to be a very easy meal. And that's just been the money bait for everything. We've got everything on those on the on on the West Coast here. But I've got everything from bonefish to um, to leopard sharks to bat rays to um, uh, what did I catch? I caught a Spanish mackerel on a sand crab the other day for a client. Um, and also all the normal surf perch, all the croaker, they absolutely love sand crabs. So if you get your head around catching sand crabs, getting a good good amount of those, not not of course breaking the rather silly 50 crab 50 sand crab possession rule that they've introduced um which seems a little problematic for some people but in anyway but if you get a handful of soft shell ones um keep them in your top pocket use those as hook baits that's going to be the best surf fishing bait you can use in the summer in, in california for everything um everything wants to eat those including halibut <laughs> weirdly i've got quite a few big halibut on bouncing decent sized sand crabs soft shell sand crabs around so they definitely like those as well um and working way up the food chain a little bit um in terms of croaker uh, we've just hit peak croaker season and for this i love this because it makes my life very easy because the fish bites which i'm sure you guys are familiar with you use a lot over there that really kicks into gear around now so i can now hit, hit, hit the beach all i need to take for bait wise is a scoop to catch sand crabs and a bag of fish bites um specifically the three flavors we, we use here or the three scents are the sand flea um the easy sand flea the blood worm, the bag of worms, and the easy clam. Those are the three which are absolutely brilliant baits here. And you can just turn up to a beach, get a double drop of loop, circle hook rig, chuck it out with a with a two ounce wide surf sinker on there. And on both drop of loops, all you're going to have is one soft shell sand crab, if possible, or a hard shell, size of your thumbnail, and about a similar size bit of fish bites. Um, even if the sand crab gets plucked off by one of the little tiny perch that's absolutely teeming on the beach here, you're still going to have that fish bites. And I think most of the time it's the fish bites that gets the bite. Um, the croaker, particularly the elephant croaker and spot fin, they love that, the visual aspect of that, of the sand flea one in particular. That's probably my favorite one is the sand flea. So for croaker, that works really well. Um, so, and working well up free chain a little bit further, get to the sharky stuff and the best shark bait undoubtedly is fresh mackerel. So you can go and catch fresh mackerel off the pier pretty easily here. Um, any of the piers have them in the summer and you probably would need, you know, 10 to 20 fresh mackerel to have a really good day. 
because you're going to have to deal with a lot of stingrays, a lot of baby rays, a lot of smaller kind of um, kind of critters who are interested in that as well. And um, and that's just the money bait for leopard sharks, superfin sharks, thresher, thresher sharks. Um, also, we have smaller smooth hound sharks. We have the big shovel nosed guitar fish. So things like that. I absolutely love the fresh bait, fresh mackerel. Even better than fresh mackerel is fresh bonito. Obviously, it's a little bigger. So you might have to do some um, interesting butchery to get that to be a kind of reasonable size leopard shark bait. But um, all about that scent, all about that blood in the water, all about those dissolving amino acids in the fresh blood that go straight into that shark's sensory system and they some soda that scent trail and eat the bait. Um, so I think that's probably the three things I would fish for. If I had sort of three baits all year round for fishing on the West Coast, it would be sand crabs with a strong preference for a soft shell sand crab. Um, fish bites for probably most of the things. Fish bites seems to catch everything. Um, all of the smaller sharky species seem to like that as well, which is kind of fun. If I noticed our friend Courtney from Fish Bites when she was on our West Coast trip here a few weeks ago, she was using the squid flavour, the ready cut squid chunks for the rockfish, which is kind of interesting because you're fishing in you know three, four, five, six hundred feet of water for a for those for those deep water fish, and normally you're using squid, and you come back the squid juice cut all over your hands. It's kind of disgusting. Um, she was catching them on the ready cut squid strips. So that's really interesting. You know, it's a, clearly a bait that has some uh, has some potential here. So yeah, so yeah. So in summary, those are the three baits I'm using all the time: is the crabs, the um, fish bites, the fresh mackerel. If you to add to that as well, I might also say that the sandworms, so those kind of fresh sandworms from the from the tackle shop, the ones with the legs and the teeth, they're called like five different things here. They're called pile worms, sandworms, lugworms, bloodworms, whatever. They're the ones with legs and teeth. Um, and if those are really good, but you've got to cut it into relatively small chunks because otherwise you just miss every single bite and you get the, the worm torn off the hook. So little one to two inch chunks work really well for that. In fact, that's my favorite thing. Fishing with kids, surf fishing with kids here. If I just want to catch like 20 surf perch, um, a little one inch chunks of sandworm on a size eight hook on a Carolina rig chucked into the shore break. We'll catch them as many perch as they want to catch. Um, and beyond that, also ghost shrimp as well. So we have, have the, um, you know, fresh ghost shrimp is available here in most tackle shops and you can pump them as well. And that's a really, really good big corbina bait. So a very specific, big um, West Coast corbina bait, big, really good spot fin bait as well. And um, I think that's about it. I think a lot of people tend to use, or uh, mistakes bait-wise people make here, uh, is they tend to use frozen bait. So a lot of frozen mackerel and squid, and that's really not the optimal thing. Frozen squid is kind of okay, but it's kind of messy. It's expensive. It's hard to keep frozen. And once the whole lot's defrosted and it's like soggy, soggy mush in the bottom of your bag, I think they... I think its usefulness has largely gone by then. If you refreeze that, I don't think that's a great bait. So, um, so a lot of my bait recommendations would be based around fresh local bait. You could turn up to the beach right now with no bait at all, just a scoop, like a, literally get a pasta sieve from your kitchen, scoop out a load of sand crabs, get 50 sand crabs, get the three or four soft shellers. That's the best hook bait you can use right now. Yeah, I can't go wrong there. And the fish bite stuff, I love that you brought up that because I, it's one of my favorite things to do. Like if I go out on a party boat and, you know, they're giving you out all the squid stuff and all the ma all those chunky bits, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'll throw it on one hook and then I'll throw a piece of fish bites on the bottom. I'm like, what do you use? I'm like, don't worry, you'll see. And it's every time. I'm like, look, you may get my squid, <laughs> but I'm going to get you because you're going to come yeah. back for that other flavor and I'm going to get you. So, yeah, those, those squid chunks do wonderful when you're doing drop fishing. That, that's some good times right there. Um, do you know one thing, just very briefly, yeah, Brian, touching on that. Uh, this is one thing that really, why I ended up using fish bites a lot is because when I, when I, in my previous, when I lived in England, I also worked for a big carp fishing tackle brand. 
one of the things they used to do was do a lot of underwater filming and it was extremely obvious that a lot of fish have the bait in its mouth before one gets hooked and i suspect that's probably the same when you fish bait and weight surf fishing um and i think a lot of the times by the time you actually get a bite it's kind of the last one the last unlucky one rather than the first one that's come up to the bait so if you have a bait that's very durable and stays on there for multiple bites or multiple attempts at eating the bait particularly on that deep water stuff that's obviously going to be a big factor in you catching a fish because if your bait's all gone after five minutes and you're still on the drift or whatever then you aren't going to catch anything are you so that informs a lot of my fishing is that lovely that lo lovely experience of seeing those underwater footage of fish multiple times having a bait in its mouth and not wanting not quite eating it but then thinking okay well how does that work here if i have a sand crab on my hook well that's great but if i fish it bait and weight style and i've the fifth fish to come along um past my bait well this the second one got the sand crab so there's nothing left on there for that but if it's still got the fish bites on there and i know that's a really great bait then i'm going to catch that fish so that's a really interesting thing the way i think about that is you know you want something that stays on the hook for a decent amount of time and that fish bites really takes the box for me in that regard. Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, I'm I use it here constantly. It's one of my it's it is my bait of choice. And I am on team fish bites. You guys all know that that listen to the show. You guys know I'm all on it. But I, I've never I never question when I have a fish bite on. I'm like, I'm good. You can take everything else. It'll eat. Somebody will eat this. Something will get it. And what's, I will. What's have. your killer flavor? What's your killer scent? So over? for uh, for here, the sand flea always works great. Um the clam works pretty good. I've had great luck with that. My personal, if I'm leaving the house, I'm leaving with two flavors. I'm leaving with my electric chicken crab, and uh, then I'm more than likely bringing, I'll probably bring green shrimp uh, as well, and occasionally I'll bring the, or definitely the sand flea, that's obvious, but yeah, sand flea, crab, and shrimp, so three, not two. I'll bring those three to my, those are my primary, and they all work really well. Excellent. And just little chunks on a circle hook? Yep. Yeah. I'll use normally a one-aught or a size six hook. It depends on the day. Um, but I'll use a one-aught more often than not. Um, and then I'll put on a thumbnail size cut. I normally cut mine into diamonds. Uh, it's just something I saw once and I was like, hey, well, that looks cool. I'll make a shape. I like cutting mine. I like giving mine little legs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah. You do a little <laughs> tail cut. I've heard great things about that one. Um, you, you can really design them to do just about anything and they're durable. They will hold on and hold on and hold on and, you know, until the point where all you've got left is mesh. And it's like, all right, cool. Then you just pop and go. Cause I mean, I've done, good Lord. I've had days where a piece of fish bites will last me, I don't know, 10, 15 fish, and then I have to change it. You know, they've already slurped it off or something like that. You know, and then there's other days where I just, something happened. I got in touch with a bunch of little peckers that nail at it, and then it's gone in 15 minutes. Either way, you know, I love that I have it on a double because it's double the scent in the water. So you can get one, but I'm still eking scent out, and I'm bringing something closer in to go, hey, what is that? Oh, I want to eat that. And that's one thing I love about fish bites is that it is. It's just going to eke it out. It's the same thing with, like, their fight club system for their inshore stuff. I love that because I can throw it out. I'm leaking I'm leaking that scent in the water as I'm retrieving the, uh, retrieving the lure. Throw it back out, you know, different patterns. Hey, I'm still leaking scent. Scent is so important, and I, I can't emphasize that enough to people, and I keep telling Absolutely. them, like, yeah, presentation is one thing. Scent is another. The quality of your scent as well. If, it's, if your scent is coming from some some junky yeah. twice frozen piece of squid that you've had in the bottom of your freezer for the last year and you just wheeled out because you decided to go fishing that day that's really not too, too good for yeah. us everywhere think of the whenever we use bonito which i think is probably one of the ultimate surf fishing baits for the sharks 
the the interest that Benito gets is completely insane. Like everything wants to eat it. All of the rays almost like wrapped in a cage with a bit of cheese. They're just like bang on it. Everything wants to eat it. So this is crazy how different the reaction of the fish to the different scent trails. Because you might think, okay, well, it's a fish. A fish just wants to eat everything that it can get its mouth around. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think that they can be selective um, and they react to you. really good, fresh amino acids in, dissolved in the water in the form of blood and whatever fish bait is or squid or squid juice um but it has to be fresh or yep. very very recently properly frozen like blast frozen yeah and i think a lot of fish are kind of like humans too in the same one and i know this if somebody's gonna be like no you're wrong but that's okay i can be wrong i'm okay with that but the same one you know some fish are gonna smell stuff and be like us I'm like oh hell no i want nothing to do with that don't, don't get away from everything that's around that you know scent make, makes a difference and if there is no scent yeah. you know they're still not gonna like what, what is this that I don't want that. There's nothing there. Lowly certain ones don't seem to be that fast. Like definitely the stingrays and the, the yeah. skates here don't seem to be incredibly fast. You could use some really junky frozen stuff and still still catch um still catch, you know, a decent amount of skates and rays. But if I think to the leopard sharks as being a really great education in that, um when we first started fishing for the leopard sharks using squid, great. Maybe if you're really lucky, you maybe one every other session and then we switch that around to fresh mackerel. Um, with a bigger fresh bait and it changed that to four or five in a session as opposed to one every other session right and that's the difference that was the difference the only difference was the quality and the size of the bait that we used makes sense definitely does well now we've been talking about all that one so let's do into the uh, these last couple of questions in this one and then we'll start getting into your tackle shop and guiding business here what do you do if you're going to go fish in a brand new place that you've never been before <laughs> first thing to do is go ask ask somebody who knows more than me about that spot <laughs> so i'm 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 not open to being really humble about what I don't know. And I think that's important because if you rock up somebody like, well, I, I know exactly how this is going to play out. Um, maybe, maybe you do okay, but it's much better just to find the local tackle shop. That's probably the best thing. Find the guy in your local tackle shop. You know, I've got a couple of local tackle shops here. When I first came over, they were really helpful. But I'm going to specifically name them Charkbait. There's a local shop in Huntington Beach. They're amazing. Um, really, really helpful guys. Always just want to help you catch some fish. So dial into that being my first thought is to find the local tackle shop because obviously you're saying in, in, in their interest for you to catch fish and they're going to tell you the local spots they want you to go back and they want you to come back into the shop the next day to get more, more bait and tell them how many fish you caught so that and also you're supporting a local tackle shop as well so that's another bonus thing but it's really my first thing and you know we had a we did a road trip up to the central coast um a few weeks ago up to marina and the first thing i did was call the local tackle shop and they gave me some such great advice about what i should be using and you know as opposed to just doing what I thought would work down here. Um, you know, they the stuff they told me, and there was, you know, some minor tactical tweaks, which might have, I might have worked out after a day or two, but they told me, and I put a heads up and something and got a whole bunch of fish much faster than I would have done. So getting getting into that local knowledge is really important. Obviously, hire a local guide. Um, <laughs> slightly biased opinion, but if you're coming to Orange County, give me a shout. I'll happily do the same job for you. Um, as that local tackle shop or telling you where to go and w- helping you being being enthused in helping you catch fish um i think there's also some value in like the local social media groups there's obviously a lot of facebook groups there's a lot of ones in california like west coast surf fishing california surf anglers and they're okay but i think some of the some of the stuff on there is a little like <laughs> i'm not such a huge fan of that social media aspect of um people blowing a lot of, burning a lot of spots and you know telling other people where to go fishing and stuff i think the best thing you can do is just to work it out for yourself 
um, you learn in that process, you will learn so much more. You become such a better angler. Whereas I think some of that becomes quite instant almost, well, where'd you catch that fish? Great. I'm just going to go down there tomorrow and maybe I'll catch one. But if yeah. you've gone through a process of planning and looking at maps and researching your target species and you, A, you're probably going to have a better session because you haven't just jumped on whatever someone else has got done. And also you're going to learn a lot more. So long-term in the same process I've had to go through of learning the fishery and learning species and their preferences long-term, that's going to really pay you dividends, I think. So, so yeah, so if I was going to go somewhere local, I'd probably, you know, Brian, if I was going to where you are, I'd, I'd, I'd hit you up. I'd be like, hey, Brian, what's working right now? What do I need to tell me your exact combo you would take down to the beach to catch loads of fish right now? And I would replicate that exactly, to be honest, to the to the, to the nearest hook size, pound, braid, whatever, you know, that 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 kind of matching what really works. Yeah. Not not and being humble and looking at that local network and getting getting a network of people who are interested in telling you what really works as opposed to some snarky Facebook guy who probably doesn't want to tell you what really is going on. <laughs> a sad truth right there. All right. Well yeah. that, so we'll, we'll nail this last one here because you already took care of the other two questions and then we'll move into guiding business. How do you adjust your tactics for fishing when the bite isn't on fire? Um, I think I've had a I've had some really fun fun sessions this year, but it's definitely a little patchy early season, which we're just getting out of now. And um, and the one thing I've learned is fish for what's in front of you. Don't try and be too clever. Don't try and break the world record or smash the IGFA line class record every time you go out. Fish for what's in front of you. So um so so early season, I'm definitely using a lot more bloodworm, sandwormy type baits. Things with a lot of fresh fresh scent in there. And I'm looking at catching more surf perch when the water temperature is pretty low and, um, you, you know, using using good quality fresh baits like that. It might cost me a little bit more money, but I'd happily pay 10 bucks to catch a whole load of fish in a day. And so using those fresh baits that the fish are dialed into. Um, and then as it gets warmer and warmer, as the, as the season progresses um, and my species become more into the kind of croaker, sharky kind of territory, I'm using more of like sand crabby type baits and more of, more of the other kind of... Um, yeah, more more fresh baits as the as the season progresses and we get in some easy easy availability of those baits. Um, another thing that I use all year round here that works really well is those Berkeley Gulp sandworms. So the famous two inch Camo Neris sandworm is the one you want the Gulp sandworm, and you want to rig that. Um, in fact, the way I've been rigging that the last year or two is to really tear that in half almost. Maybe it's like two thirds of a bait, so it's like an inch inch and a half, and just fish that in exactly the same way as you might rig like a little crappie or a panfish bait, you know, just thread it up a size one or two hook and fish that as though you're just reeling, you're trying to catch like a trout or something similar to that. And that's just worked back through the shore break and a short Carolina rig. And um, that catches seemingly everything. So, so yeah, so my winters more artificial baits, maybe more grubs, more of the Berkeley sandworms, maybe more of the real sandworms for the bait, for the perch. And then around kind of springtime, the crabs get busier and the, the croaker get busier. The fresh mackerel come in and the sharks follow them. So I tend to get dialed into that a little bit. I tend to spend more time in piers catching bait and running around on shore break, scooping out sand crabs in the summer. And winter, it's much more like open a packet of sandworms, off I go. Okay, cool. Well, now that we've nailed all that education piece, let's move into the fun one. But before we do that, let's knock the last bait check out and we can get all the way into the fun questions here. This is the final bait check of the episode. Hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish and it's been a great day for you out there. And maybe, you know, hey, 
maybe you went home already and you're just listening on the car. That's great stuff. The final bait check is being brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Go over to thesinkerguy.com and look at everything that Chip's got going on in The Sinker Guy Garage. There's a lot more things in there than there were last year. Oh, yeah. Lots of things. So you still got plenty of great rigs. The Bruno rig, always catching great fish. We don't talk about Bruno. Maybe you need to get your hands on some terminal tackle, scissors, pliers, a couple things like that. Beads, he's got the sinker guy method. Hooks, you got them in there for you. Lots of great things over there. So go over to thesinkerguy.com, take a look at all the good things. Quick shipping, great customer service. Always a good product to be working with right there. Oh, man. So we've been really nailing on the education piece here, and now we're going to move into your guiding business. Now, from what I've learned online here, you kind of have a double a double win here, and you opened it up in the beginning of the episode. You run a guide charter, but also a tackle shop. All this is all combined online. So let's talk about the guiding piece. What got you to decide, I want a guide? Well, I think it's something that I've always wanted to do from a very early age, and um, Definitely from that kind of early fishing age, I've always had a, always really enjoyed t- taking people fishing and helping a friend catch a fish, for example, or just, you know, enjoying that experience. So, so that was, you know, as I kind of worked my way through the 20s and 30s, um, I did a little bit of catfish guiding. I did a little bit of um, kind of educational freshwater stuff with like fishing clubs when I lived in England. And so, so I had a little bit of guiding and kind of educational fishing experience. And, um, but, when, but when I first came over here and I was first dating my wife, you know, very early on, it was kind of clear that I, if we were going to make this work, I'd end up living over here. So I very much took a view of, okay, well, I'm going to come over here. We're just, just dating right now. But ultimately, if this works out between us, I'm going to be living over here. I'm going, to, I'm going to need a job. The best job I could possibly think of ever having over here is to be a fishing guide. So my very focus very early on was, how do I make this work as a business? How do I get the knowledge and skills and information I need to to make this work as a guiding business eventually when I'm able to start a business here. So I started working down that process of working things out, have a lot of logs, a lot of a lot of you know lists of things and um, things that work and things that don't. I, I look a lot of spend a lot of time looking at all those kind of tidy stuff, and that then leads me to work some things out. And as soon as I begin to work some things out, um, around that time I also was lovely US government gave my green card the, the ability to work and start a business in America after I got moved here and got married. And um, so as soon as I had that green card, bang, registered my business, started my LLC business in California, um, started guiding people that summer for leopard sharks, um, and then just grew the business. So that summer it was leopard sharks. Yeah, so that winter started the surf perch fishing, the surf perch masterclass as we called it then. And that's then expanded into the more of the tuition based things, which is probably a lot of my business in the summer is helping, you know, uh, families with, with young people and maybe couples and single people um, who just want to learn how to surf fish, want to see see how it works and get all the information and the sort of knowledge that I've gained over the last four, the last few years. Um, we also produce a kind of info sheet as well, which has been really successful this year, almost like a cheat sheet. Um, and so that's been something I've, I've, you know, again, we've talked a lot about the educational side of what I do and learning that, learning how the West Coast fishery works and then translating that into the kind of guiding and then also producing these kind of info sheets, which is a very kind of, um, kind of like almost my guiding knowledge distilled down into two A4 sides is what I describe it to my clients. And it has all of the stuff that we've, you know, a summary of what we've just been discussing about all the tides, the baits and all that kind of stuff, really everything I think they need to know to help them catch a whole load of fish. So, um, so that's kind of something really successful element of the guiding business. Um, also, the shark fishing is something that we still do as well. Uh, the leopard sharks, um, sweetfin sharks, 
just started to get into guiding for the, maybe the more thresher type stuff, which is a really interesting proposition. Some of the bigger sharks off the beach are definitely um, a bit more challenging off, 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 off the west coast here, but uh, but they're there. And they're pretty pretty interesting when you get one. So um, so that's kind of how I got into the guiding stuff here is you know starting off with that lovely process of learning how thing, everything works, but very early on thinking this is going to be this could be a really cool business for me if I move here, and then I move here and I just carried on really guiding and building that business and helping people catch fish and really that's how I, how I thought about that business very early on is how can I help people catch fish because if I help them catch a fish the rest is easy isn't it they they will of course they'll want to book me for a second session or they'll tell their friends about me um, or they'll buy my tackle um, so so that's it really so yeah based on largely the idea of how can I help people have the same really great experience that I had catching lots of fish early on here and being just so stoked and so enthused about getting my first, I don't know, first corbine or my first spot fin or my first leopard shark and just being blown away. So that's always in my mind. That little moments where I get those really cool fish and seeing them have the same moment is that's kind of what what leads me to carry on guiding really. I just love it. I love that process. Yeah, the tug is the drug, man. It gets you every time. So what goes uh, what comes with going on a trip with you? Um, well, I try and make it as easy as possible for my clients. So first of all, it's all inclusive. So they, they don't need to bring any tackle, any bait, anything like that. They can just turn up um, and they can just have as much interaction as they want or as least little interaction. And um, in terms of the fishing, which specifically what I was talking about, the interaction is you can obviously go surf fishing here and we could cover five miles of beach with a pair of light line rods and catch loads of corbina, surf perch, that kind of thing. And it could be a very physical busy day you know you're standing in that shore break all the time um you know it's a really fun visceral experience i have people who are after that they just look at me and go well that was a blast you know so much going on so many so many um so many things that you have to take care of and look at and you know the what's the surf doing where am i standing what's that wave doing what's my bait doing if my have i got a bite you know there's there's 20 different things you gotta look out for so there's that element to it which i really enjoy of the roving the kind of hunting aspect um, of the surf perch and the corbina type fishing and then also i do much more sedate trips which would be more of a maybe more ba- what we call bait and weight fishing which are you know getting the log rods out and i've just got a really cool new surf car actually i've got a really um got one of those lovely massive aluminium trucks with huge grubby sand wheels which i put off getting for ages i've always been the kind of guy who's like well i'm going to be a lot more mobile with my backpack and a couple of rods but I now need to carry a decent amount of chairs and all that kind of stuff to do these trips to the point where, well, I might as well just get a surf cart now. So I've got this massive, great big, beautiful aluminium welded surf cart, um, which we'll be going to use for the bait and weight surf trips. So that's going to be more orientated towards, like, for example, the spot fin croaker, the elephant croaker, the leopard sharks. It's all bait and weight stuff. You know, we're using those lovely fresh baits, creating those centrales and those big outgoing tides, um, getting out there early in the morning, running, you know, two, three, four rods having nice groups of people, you know, I love fishing with families and kind of, you know, groups of friends and so on. Um, so that's, that's another, another, that's another aspect, another kind of type of trip I do. Um, and again, it's all very easy. Most of that involves just hanging out, just sitting, sitting down and wait for one of those rods to start going. Um, also the kids love catching sand crabs. So, you know, often it's a case of the adults are sat there watching the rods and the kids are off playing with sand crabs seeing who can get the biggest sand crab or something. Um, so that's and then the other type of trip I do is obviously the sharky stuff and that's often more evening orientated so we're looking for maybe a really big tidal shift right as that sun goes down um I've got some really nice shark trips lined up for next week I've got one of my lovely regular clients up in Los Angeles and we're going to be fishing for leopard soup fin 
those kind of sharks off the beach and we've got i think high tides kind of 6 7 p.m as that water turns around and starts pumping out uh we're going to be sitting on that beach with you know two three four rods running fresh baits for the, le- the leopard sharks and so on um so that's it really so i do kind of three four different types of trip um obviously very educational based and um, i try to make it as easy for my clients as possible but i also allow them to do as much as they want to get involved um they can go right from being this light line surf guy who's just standing in the shore break casting doing everything themselves to just sitting back and waiting for them to me to give them a rod when they've got a decent shark on the end your trip sounds fun i already want to go <laughs> it is fun <laughs> I, i'm talking about it i want to go fishing now yep i understand <laughs> believe me i totally do so uh what do you i mean this one's going to be loaded because you kind of answered it earlier when we were talking there but we'll, we'll ask it again what do you normally target when you're out on your charters um, I normally target whatever I think is going to be most fun. So at the moment, um, is definitely the Corbina are the busiest fish right now. They're the biggest fish. They're going to smoke a load of drag when they pick up that bait. They're going to they're going to be fun. Um, if I think back to maybe my most fun session in the last few weeks, which was last week, um, with my client who had really done very little fishing and on his second surf fishing track session. So the first one we had a very tuition orientated surf fishing session, and the second one we just went all out to catch as many fish as possible. And we got probably one of the biggest corbina I've guided for, well over 22 inches, um, which is a really, really nice fish. And that was incredible experience for us because seeing him play that fish on the beach, um, uh, he was probably on that thing for like 10 minutes on relatively light line, six pound line in fairly chunky surf. So this thing's going up and down the beach, behaving like a bone fish, zipping in and out of the surf line. And, you know, we we're on that thing. And his, his when we got that fish on the beach, we just had a hug, you know. We just had one of those moments where it was just like, "Wow, that was blast!" I am so glad we got that on the beach, though, because it was just a blast. And those those kind of moments are those moments of just like those ecstatic moments of when you've got the thing you've really, really, really wanted to get, and maybe it's a really, really cool big one, or maybe it's just a really pretty one. It's like a leopard shark. Maybe it's just a beautifully marked one, or maybe it's just their first fifty-inch fish, or something like that. Having those those highlights, seeing those smiles, is definitely um, something that really, really gets gets me going in terms of making me want to go fishing perfect what uh, how is running a charter different than running your basic normal fishing day um i it depends what sort of charter it is because if i'm just doing the light line stuff there's not a huge amount of difference i'm just still carrying a really small pack i'm using the same kind of light setups as a for example i went fishing this morning before we did this podcast and i just went to a bit of corbina fishing down at newport and i take basically the same gear as i take for my guiding clients i really don't have any special gear i don't have like a special high-end set of gear that i use just myself i you know i like using stuff that my clients use that way i know it works i want people to go and use the stuff that i will use and what i know works every day on my sessions and it's not cheap stuff it's pretty nice some of it but it's not you know i'm not using like a van style and like a custom you know thousand dollar combo you know, we're using two, three, four hundred dollar combos, and that's pretty, um, pretty, pretty indicative of what most of my gear is affordable, but nice, affordable stuff. Yeah, I oh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and start a fight. Uh, I am one that I mean, I you don't need the 300, you don't need the thousand dollar piece of gear, you just need the gear that works, and that's okay. You yeah. just take your time with it, and it will all come together, it always does. So, that, yeah, I think I, the only thing I'd say about that is definitely the real. For the surf fishing game and the specifically about the light line stuff because i think when when the bait and weight stuff you really is generally not anywhere near the sand it's right. pretty pretty easy to keep it sand free 
definitely the light line stuff. I really have. I want the most ceiling technology I can afford in a reel at that uh, for, uh, for, the, for the most I can afford really, because that really matters when you're running around the beach and I know. So you get a nice corpino and you put your reel on, on the ground to unhook it. And the next wave comes along and fills it in full of sand. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> so that's happened happened a few times. So I like I like a little nicer high end reel for for maybe for the light line stuff, but weirdly for the bait and weight stuff for the heavier stuff, you know, two hundred dollar surf reel is going to be just fine. Yeah, makes sense right there. All right, so what is the area that you service for your charters? Um, I service most of Southern California, but specifically Los Angeles County and Orange County, my main areas of operation. So I'm right in the middle of Orange County, really. And within an hour's drive, I can hit every single beach in Orange County and almost every single beach in LA County. And I can do trips up to Malibu. So I've done a few trips up to Malibu, which is kind of fun. I have a few, a few kind of, uh, let's say, relatively well-off, um, slightly famous musician clients who live up in Malibu who want to do regular trips up there. So I regularly go up there, do a little early morning jaunts up to Fisher's lovely rocky beaches and um, help some interesting people catch some interesting fish off there. So that's that's my general area is most of Southern California. Um, San Diego's in my area, but it's a little further out. So yeah, I'm happy to go down there if I have a specific request, but it's not somewhere I'm able to scout, scout a lot. And I like knowing exactly where I'm fishing and I like being able to scout somewhere the day or two beforehand so I know what I'm in for when I fish with a client. Yeah, that run down I-5, you know, 405, or actually for you, yeah, oh, just no. <laughs> yeah not, not a good time. Not not for that run down south. That, that's yeah. going to take you a minute, not to mention to get home. <laughs> it's fine at 5 in the morning. 4 or 5 in the morning, it's fine. Yeah. Coming yeah. back at midday, not so great. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. <laughs> so how do you tailor your trips to your customers? You kind of talked a little I'm, bit well, about I'm, it. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I have two types of customers, really. It's, the first one is the kind of regular guy who I know pretty well and maybe wants to come fishing every two months or something or every month. And um, so those guys, you know, obviously you get to know them and you get to know what, what works for them and what their skill level is. And, you know, I've got a whole range of guys who, from the, from the sort of guy who just wants someone there to wrangle his fish for him and maybe undo a few tangles and get his bait and make sure he's in the right spot and he's fishing on the right side and stuff. And the rest of it, it's all down to him, right? He's going to do all the casting or the reeling. So I've got a few guys like that. And that's always really fun. You know, you're able to then put them in places which maybe you have some more interesting fish and target some different species. Once you know they have some skills and you know that they're not, you're not going to put them in situations where they wouldn't have a great result. You know, if they just weren't able to play the fish correctly and lost it in a bunch of rocks pretty fast, well, not too great. But once you know that, so I guess, I guess in a nutshell, finding the type of trip that's going to match their skill level for the regular guys. And then also I have a lot of, you know, new, new customers. So people who might be here on holiday or maybe have just got into surf fishing and have Googled me and said, okay, well, I want to learn how to surf fish. So then I'm going to make it as easy as possible for them. I want to catch the most amount of fish in the shortest amount of time. So if I think of I have to do a four-hour tuition, I want to have two hours of really fun fishing, maybe two or three hours where we catch a whole bunch of fish. And then maybe as that tide bottoms out or as the tide hits high tide and that bite just tapers off a little bit, that's when we'll sit and we'll go through all the relatively boring stuff, you know, like how to tie this rig and how to set this up and how to catch a sand crab and, you know, how to do all those kind of 10 things that maybe be little skills that, aren't directly related to fishing but will help you catch the fish so i guess that's how i tailor my trips you know two different ways um if it regular guys what do you want to catch great let's do that i've got a great plan and you know i've got for example on wednesday i've got a regular customer and i know that there's a little bit of swell arounds but there's a really really good little spot which always seems to hold a big few big corbina so i'm going to take him there 
and I kind of know he can fish a little bit, so he's not going to be left just looking at an empty <laughs> spool of line um, because the fish has just spooled him or something. So he's going to be, you know, okay. So yeah, so that's it. So I match the I try and match the fish to their skill level, the fishing to the skill level as closely as possible. So it's maximum fun. I want it to be fun. It's going to be. I can already tell it's going to be. So that that works. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... Like fun and good good energy as well. I like that. It's a bit of a cliche, a bit of a cheesy thing to say, but I want good attitudes, good energy. Um, I want good, good, good vibes, I think is probably a good way to say it. <laughs> hey, those are important. I don't care what anybody says. That stuff matters. Oh, pretty fun. <laughs> pretty fun. Attitude is everything, isn't it? So, it is. It is. Um, how do people book a trip with you or look up going on a charter? Well, there's a couple of different ways. Um, obviously, you can find me find my website. I also am happy to receive phone calls, text messages, WhatsApp messages. And ideally, I like to people booked in as, as much notice as possible that way. I can really pick those prime tides that I've got marked off in my diary and say, okay, great. You want to come. So, so you know, so you might say, okay, I want to come in September, in September and I'm on holiday for a week in September in Orange County. And you can give me a week's worth of dates to, to go out. And I'll give you that absolute prime pristine date to fish on that, on that period. And that does make a big difference. You know, the being able to cherry pick those dates and the, those, those nice periods um, definitely is a big factor in, targeting the larger fish like the big leopards and the bigger corbina um but also i can do trips most days so you know really very short notice with the amount of bait and the amount of fish around at the moment it's a lovely scenario where if you someone's phone me up and say hey can i go fishing tomorrow You're like yeah sure um but most of the time i like people to be booked several weeks out that way i can plan it i can plan you know life stuff as well so i'm you know you might have the same challenges right if you stood on a beach for six hours someone else has got to take care of the dog someone else has you know, my, my wife's a teacher and, you know, she has frequently has periods where, you know, she might have um, just a crazy workload and I might need to help out, help her out with some home stuff. So planning around life stuff as well is a big factor, but mostly my planning process, um, you know, of, of, of that helping people get booked in is I want to book you into the best possible fishing day within that, within the time you're here. And that's it. I just want to catch loads of fish. <laughs> Perfect. Definitely. So a funny happenstance here, uh, and I'm sorry that the episode just quickly cut off, but Ben and I had a weird technical difficulty that uh, caused the episode to get cut short, but it actually worked out pretty well because right after that we got back in touch and we finished up the rest of the podcast. However, <laughs> there is so much information in episode number two that I had to uh, make it a second one on its own. I couldn't just keep it as it was. So, hey, uh, tune in next week because it's even more information as it goes on. You've been listening to Fun and Demo Surf Fishing. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you. Always fun talking with you. Hopefully this episode helped you. If it did, share it on out there. Tune in next week for part two of this episode. Uh, I'm out of here.